You're supposed to start this. I start this. I yeah. thought you start this. Oh, but you, but, uh, Fair enough. Welcome to Tall and Short. What? Whoa. <laughs> Tony just slamming his fist on the table. No. No, no, no. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Tall and Short with Tim and Tony. He's a Tim. And he's a Tony. Okay. So, got another house for you. He's got another house for me. Tony is looking to sell, sell, sell. Yes. Someday, someday, someday. Uh-oh. Now we have, this thing's coming out on a Tuesday. Shut up. <laughs> uh, it is, uh, let's see, if I'm not mistaken, it is right, it is, uh, it is right after uh, Christmas. So, hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas time, if you celebrate it. And if you got to spend time with your family, regardless of what religion you have, I do hope that you enjoyed your time with your friends and loved ones otherwise. Before we get into uh, the weeds and another spooky story. Yes, because let's, let's go ahead and just start this off with a bang. On November 13th, 1974, Ronald Defoe Jr. shot and killed six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue. You... You. A large Dutch colonial house situated in a suburban neighborhood in Amityville. We're going to the Amityville house, huh? We going to the OG. And you just had to you just <clears throat> had to drop in the we're gonna start off with a bang and then talk about the Defoe family slaying. Oh, you know. Tomato tomato. Ah, hey you. Blood splatter. Just blood splatter. Yeah. You're, you're good. Yeah, you're just, good. That, that tracks you. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. You, I mean, what am I saying? I've had. Um, what am I saying? I've covered some, some, some nasty stuff. On the, uh, in the suburban neighborhood of Amityville, on the south shore of Long Island, New York. All right. So the last haunted house we had was San Jose, California. So a lovely sunny West Coast. Now we're going to East Coast. Not so sunny and the, probably, probably a little dreary. Yeah. Defoe was convicted of second-degree murder in November 1975. God damn it, Ted. And sentenced to six terms of 25 years to life in prison. Defoe died in prison in March 2021. Jeez, that is recent. In December of 1975, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into the house. And this episode comes out at the end of December, so I think that is more than appropriate that we're talking about this. After 28 days, the Lutzes flood the house. Jeez. I... I can only imagine. But the thing... What type of... Okay, I, I, got, I got my questions first about, um... The Lutzes' sanity to buy a house that just got murdered? No, 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 not that all one. Over? Not that one. It's more like, uh, the, the Defoe. Like, what gun was he using? I, I, I forgot what type of gun he was using. <clears throat> I've not seen the movie. At all, I don't think they even touched on the movie. Like I it's imagine. just like the it's just like the story. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna be covering the Amityville house, and then subsequently the book, the movie. You know, all, the ridiculous amount of movies and books and pop culture medium it has been contrived into. Oh sweet mercy! <clears throat> I had to look into what he was using. What was he using? All of his all of his family. Uh, they were victims to a thirty-five caliber lever-action Marlin three-three-six C rifle. Ooh. 
So I am looking at it right now. It is a it is a lever action rifle that for certain it's gonna be very loud when it goes off. Uh-huh. At three AM. You said three thirty six? Three thirty six C rifle. Which is that's not a, a decent size. I mean, that's, you know, it's not a 50 caliber bullet here blowing holes around, but yeah, 336 isn't nothing to scoff at. That is a. <clears throat> actually. What does that one sound like? That is what a 336 firearm sounds like. Not a 336C, but that is close enough because I got curious. I. I can find these things on YouTube. And that's not a quiet gun. Like, that's on a phone, if anybody heard that one. That's on yeah. my phone. <clears throat> that, at 3 in the morning, like, that should be alerting people. Especially when it's, what, six bullets? Yeah, at least. Maybe a few more, depending if, you know, every one was a kill shot, first shot. Good night. <clears throat> that's, that is morbid. So... We'll go ahead and get into the the plot of the book itself, and then subsequently everything else that trickled down from it. The book was written by Jay Anson in 1977, is when it was publicized, mm-hmm. or pub- publicated. 1977? Yeah, so three years after the murders? Roughly. It was a pretty quick turnaround time, even back in the 70s for that kind of thing. No kidding. The book describes the house at 112 Ocean Avenue as remaining empty for 13 months after the Defoe murder. Defe- is it Defoe or D? It's D-E-F-E-O. Defeo? I've heard of Defeo. 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 Okay, we'll go with Defeo. Yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard that in a couple other um, uh, podcasts. In December of 75, George and Kathleen Lutz bought the house for what was considered to be a bargain price of $80,000. An $80,000 house for how many Five-bedroom house built in a Dutch colonial style, so kind of a big barn. You know, kind yeah. of one of those big round um, yeah. Amish barns. I've seen, I, I know what you're talking about. And, and $80,000 for a five-bedroom. Also had a swimming pool and a boathouse and was located on a canal, or is located on a canal. That is a steal for a house. Mm-hmm. For back then, even for back then, like today, that would be unheard of. Yep. So... <clears throat> and this is all coming from the book, so if the sources, because I've not seen the movie, mm-hmm. or the remake, or the countless other ones. So if they deviate from that, that's, I'm reading from the book's origin, because that was the first medium. I mean, it wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't surprise me, because the books, they want, the movies would absolutely, um, fit, uh, what's the word? Hollywood, it would um, embellish yeah. things, make yeah. things a lot more fantastical. So, George and Kathleen Lutz... Married in July of 75, each had their own homes, wanted to start fresh, though, with each other, with a new property, and they had three children between them from a previous from previous marriages, mm-hmm. Daniel Lutz, Christopher Lutz, and Melissa, or Missy Lutz, who were nine, seven, and five, respectively. Um, they also owned a crossbreed Malamute Labrador dog named Harry. During the first inspection of the house, the real estate broker they had um, told them about the DeFeo murders and asked if this would affect their decision. The Lutzes, probably against their better judgment, I imagine, decided it would not be a problem. Yeah, boy. 
They moved in December 18th of 1975, and much of the DeFeo family furniture was still in the house. Say, do what? The DeFeo furniture was still in the house. Oh, oh, just, oh, God. Yeah. Like, they, they didn't even clear, oh, oh, God. One of George Lutz's friends found out they were moving into the house, found out the furniture was all still there, and I apparently insisted that the house be blessed before they fully moved in. Well, I mean, if there's still furniture in there and a murder happened 13 months ago... Yeah. Yeah. George was a non-practicing Methodist. Kathy was a non-practicing Catholic. They found a priest in the book. His name Father Ray. The actual priest is Father Ralph J. Pecoraro. Pecoraro. In the book... Um, he's referred to as Father Mancusa mm-hmm. for privacy reasons, so we'll refer to him as Mancusa from here out. Yeah, just for the sake of argument. <clears throat> I mean, Mancusa was a lawyer and a judge of the Catholic court and a psychotherapist who lived at the local Sacred Heart Directory who arrived to perform the blessing while George and Kathy were unpacking their belongings on December 18th in the afternoon. When he went into the building to carry out the rites, when he flicked the first holy water and began to pray, he heard a masculine voice demand that he get out. Get out. Yeah. Didn't mention that to to George and Kathy. Hi, <laughs> uh, hey, priesty. I think you ought to tell people that. Oh yes, I got slapped in the face and I heard a voice say, "Get out." You might want to not come near this house. Christmas Eve that that few days later, Mancusa called George Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard the voice coming from, the former bedroom of Mark and John Matthew DeFeo, who I believe were two of the kids. <clears throat> that Kathy, and Kathy planned to turn that room into a sewing room. You said John and Mark DeFeo? Yeah, M-A-R-C and John Matthew DeFeo. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken... Uh, that was two of his. That was two of um, Ronald Jr.'s siblings. Mark was twelve and John was nine, mm. which senseless. Yeah. But as uh, Mancuso was talking to George, the uh, call was cut short by static. Of course, it was claims of claims of being static. Yeah. No, the the call was cut short by static. Really. Following the, his visit to the house to try and bless it, Father Mancuso allegedly developed a high fever and blisters on his hands similar to stigmata. Stigmata? Stigmata. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with what stigmata is, it is the, but, it's the holes in Jesus' hands. Yeah. At first, George and Kathy experienced nothing unusual in the house, but when they were talking about their experiences, subsequently they reported it was as, as if they were living in a different... They were each living in a different house. I can imagine. Let me. I want to throw a guess on this one because it has been a hot minute since I've learned about the Amityvilles. I'm going to assume that George was like, "Oh no, this is a totally fine house. Nothing wrong." And his wife is going, "No, I've seen some creepy shit, dude." Yeah, I would imagine that something like that. By mid January of '76, after another attempt at a house bustling by George and Kathy, they. Ex- Experienced what would turn out to be their final night in the house, the Lutzes declined to give a full account of events that took place on this occasion, describing them as too frightening. Too frightening. 
what eldritch horrors doubt they could have seen that made them run away. Yeah, which goes either way. They either are can't think up enough excuses and are lying, or they genuinely are too terrified to talk about it. It <clears throat> it really does run the gamut about one or the other. Because yeah. I mean, you can at the mic. You could probably, as somebody who is familiar with like eldritch horror, because that's some of some stuff I read occasionally. Mm-hmm. When you can't describe it, it truly shakes your whole world because it's something that is outside the realm of our understanding. Yeah. So it can easily mess you up. After getting in touch with Father Mancusa, the Lutzes decide to take some of their belongings and stake at uh, Kathy's mother's house in nearby Deer Park, mm-hmm. New York. They claim the phenomenon followed them there with the final scene of Anson's book describing greenish-black slime coming up the staircase towards them. Ew. On January 14th, 1976, George and Kathy Lux, with their three kids and dog, Harry left 112 Ocean Avenue, leaving all of their possessions behind. Hmm. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions and reported no paranormal paranormal phenomena inside the house Mm -hmm. while moving stuff around from the house. Yeah. The book was written after Tim, <clears throat> after Tam Mossman, an editor at the publishing house Prentice Hall, introduced George and Kathy Lux to Jay Anson, the yes. writer of the book. The Lutzes did not work directly with Anson, but submitted around 45 hours of tape-recorded recollections to him. Tape-recorded recollections, and how long, how, how far apart was the book and the haunting again? The mm. alleged haunting... <clears throat> He published it September 13th, 1977, and they were in the house for the last time, January 14th, 76. 76. So, a little over a year. Okay, okay. So, that's reasonable. Yep. Estimates of the sales of the book are around 10 million copies from various editions of it. So. Yep, and my mother actually owned one of those copies. Yep. Yeah, I... I told the story, I think, in another episode, mm-hmm. but a while back, she was reading the book. She was reading that. She was reading the book, and um, she had she stopped at one particular part and just couldn't keep reading it because it spooked her out so much. Yeah, what was it like a pig or something? Or yep, the demonic pig. Ugh, Anson. <clears throat> and last thing about Anson's rendition of the book, or uh, the book itself. Anson's is said to have based the title of the Amityville Horror on the Dunwich Horror. That bring in H.P. Lovecraft. Yep, which Dunwich Horror was published in 1929. Yep, and I have read that. That is one of the um, only few H.P. Lovecraft stories that has a quote-unquote happy ending. Because most of the time, a lot of his stuff ends very morbidly or the fact that, you know, mankind is screwed. And essentially, they just delayed the inevitable is how the ending goes. So that's happy for Lovecraft. But appropriate name. Let's start poking holes in the book. All righty. You want to get the buck shot out again? (laughs) Well, let's get the 336. Oh, (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. Re- I forgot about that part again. I don't know how I forgot about that. the The joke is, a, a while back, Tony and I we had a couple of oh, books. Oh wow! We I wasn't a, even thinking about yeah, that. I was. You know, a couple a couple years ago, Tony, several years ago, Tony and I went to the same university together, 
and we had books from a class that we were not uh, fans of. <laughs> we barely managed to pass the class. Yep. And when we were done, we took the very we took the our textbooks that we were given that were ours because we did purchase them, and uh, took them out to a shooting range and had some fun. Yeah. <clears throat> that was uh, that class was my second go around on that one because I failed the first one because it was a mostly it was a group study, so you were grouped in yeah I remember teams of four. My first team which consisted of our mutual friend Tracy and then two other people that, you know, it was... We'll ignore the names also. Yeah. One of them was, you know, a, a soccer jock guy and the other one was just couldn't be bothered to show up or anything. Yeah. So I was doing these group projects basically with me and our one mutual friend mm-hmm. single-handedly. I failed because the other two people, sometimes three never showed up yeah. for the projects yeah there was not a lot and then i wasn't a good i was not a good um uh, study part <clears throat> study partner in that one because i it was just like we kind of didn't have a really good study group either no i tried but i was always like this class i don't work in teams very well no and it was a very poorly taught poorly managed class so yeah in retro and to take a little bit of joy out of the class ourselves at the end of it when we all knew we were pat we all passed everything was good i took my copy out of the book and i lived out on the in the middle of nowhere on our property lined it up and plucked it full of four different types of rounds <laughs> yeah pretty much your cat is being a dick yeah i'm trying to get him out of the table you're right buddy i got him go on so that little that little sidebar about uh, something with our lives. So yeah. So not, anyway, going back to plugging holes in books. <laughs> yeah, not trying to make insensitive comments about guns right now. That that yeah no yeah. Uh, no. Poking holes. That's a better way to phrase. Poking it. holes. So the disputes over the accuracy of the book, and you know, obviously that there goes with the books and everything subsequent from it. The biggest part is um, Father Mancusa. 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 Father Pecoraro, who Mancusa is based off, stated in an affidavit during a lawsuit in the late 70s that his only contact with Lutz's concerning the matter had been by telephone. Mm -hmm. Other accounts say that uh, Father Pecoraro did visit the house but experienced nothing unusual. Mm -hmm. In 79, he described his experience while blessing the Amityville house during an interview for the television series In Search Of. Yes. In the interview, he makes it clear that he did, in fact, enter the home and that he was slapped by an invisible force and told to get out by a disembodied voice. Mm Mm-hmm. So, there's (laughs) there's some plot holes here. Yeah, there's a lot going on already. Jim? Yeah, I thought so. That In Search Of... That was Len- that was Leonard Nimoy. That was his yep. show at the time. I mean, the man lied to Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, or told the truth to Leonard Nimoy. I'm not sure. Either way, Spock got involved at some yeah. point. If you have to get Spock involved, a yep. Vulcan grip you to death. Mm-hmm. So, Jim and Barbara Cromarty rejected the claims of physical damage to doors, locks, and windows. And who are those two? They bought the house in March of '77. Okay. Like, so they are the next owners. Yes. <clears throat> and they bought the house for $55,000, equivalent to $266,000 in 2022. 
Barbara argued that they appeared to be the original item. What? Oh, okay. The doors, locks, and windows. Argued that the doors, locks, and windows all appeared to be the original items and had not been repaired. So there were no repairs on the house at all. Yeah, there, it looked like the doors, locks, and windows that were all allegedly broken during during all the, the f- nat- supernatural phenomena the Lutzes had experienced all looked like they were original parts. Mm-hmm. Couple also revealed that the red room was a small closet in the basement and would have been known to the Lutzes because it was not concealed in any way. And again. No idea what that means, because I haven't read the book, watched the movie, but I assume the Red Room was... Honestly, you know what? No, I think the Red Room is where the little demonic pig comes from. I would imagine. That would make sense in my mind. Um, And then, local... I'm going to butcher this, I'm sorry, in advance. Shinnecock Indians? Yeah. Rejected the claim made in Chapter 11 of the book that the house was built on a site where the tribe had once abandoned the mentally ill and the dying. So, yeah, now you've got a whole nation of natives, Native Americans being like, nah, that's not... Yeah, don't throw us under the bus, man. That's on you this time. Yeah. Researchers Rick Moran... (laughs) Rick Moran. Rick Moran. And Peter Jordan rejected the claims of Cloven Hoof... Rejected the claim of Cloven Hoof's prints... Cloven Hoof prints in the snow on January 1st of 76. Mm Mm-hmm. But their investigation revealed that there had been no snowfall at that time. Jeez. <laughs> no neighbor reported anything unusual during the time the Lutzes were living there. Police officer, police officers are depicted visiting the house in the book and 1979 film. Records showed that the Lutz did not call the police. There's no bar in Amityville called the Witch's Brew at the time either. And it would make, I mean, the police would keep a record of any and all calls. Because they well, have, wouldn't they have to? For so long. But I mean, at the time they would have had him because I mean it was back in the seventies. They would have still had to keep him like who's yeah, calling physical from where? Copies, yeah. yeah. And the list goes on. Stephen Kaplan and other critics have pointed out that changes were made to the book as it was reprinted in different editions. And the original hardcore, hardcore, the original hardcore edition, Nerd. hardcover edition. Father Pecoraro's car is an old tan Ford, and he experiences an incident in which the hood flies up against the windshield while he's driving it. In later editions, the car is described as a Chevy Vega, before yeah. reverting to a Ford again. Chevy, Ford, Chevy, Ford. Yeah. Dodge! <laughs> Donkey! Toyota! <laughs> so, minor little things that eh, don't really matter, but when you add all the things up, starts mattering yeah it starts it starts kind of poking quite a few holes into it that the ship is starting to sink a little here in may of 77 george and kathy lux filed a lawsuit against william weber the defense lawyer for ronald defeo jr no kidding paul hoffman a writer working on account on an account of the hauntings Mm -hmm. bernard burton and frederick mars both alleged clairvoyants who had examined the house along with Jesus Christ, they really went hard for this lawsuit. This house is clean. Oh. Wait, hang on. Wrong movie. Poltergeist. Oh. God, that's a terrible film. For what they had back <clears> then, <throat> I thought it was okay. But regardless, on to it. So, two clairvoyants, a writer working on an account of the hauntings, 
the defense lawyer for the guy that murdered his family in the house, mm-hmm. along with, and here's the scary ones, Good Housekeeping Magazine, New York Sunday Times, and the Hearst Corporation. They, they went after the Hearst Corporation? Yeah. Oh, God. The what's his... <laughs> what? The, Go ahead. The, the Hearst Corporation, if you are unfamiliar, mm. is what is or was one of the largest media conglomerates mm-hmm. in, Uni- in the United States at the time. Kind of talking back a little bit when we talked about um, Citizen Kane briefly for a bit. Kane based himself off of William Randolph Hearst, who mm-hmm. was one of the biggest magnets of the time. Going yep. after the Hearst, putting a putting a a a a, 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 a damn it a lawsuit against the Hearst Corporation is like trying to go up against a tank with a little BB pistol. You haven't. Hmm? You haven't done that. I'm just saying what the equivalent is because at the time we got another cat here. By the way, <laughs> at the time. At, you don't mess with the Hearst. The Hearst Corporation was crazy. Mm-hmm. That got me going for a minute there. So, the charges, the what's is alleged misappropriation of names and of names for trade purposes. Your cats. Uh, <laughs> Invasion of privacy and mental distress. Uh huh. That sounded like I just called your cats invasion of privacy and mental distress, which they kind of are yeah, sometimes. Like my wrong. my fiance and I can I can both attest to that one. The claims against the news corporations were dropped, and the remainder of the lawsuit was heard by Brooklyn District Court Judge Jack B. Weinstein. Uh, one of the Weinsteins? Oh, great. In September of 79, Weinstein dismissed the Lutz's claims. Jeez. <laughs> God, it just keeps getting worse for this. No. In September 17th of 79, in, in the September 17th, 1979 issue of People Magazine, William Weber wrote, I know this book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. And that, and he's referring to a meeting that Weber had with George and Kathy Lutz. Oh, God. During which they discussed what became that line of Anson's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and the fact that people are not coming forward saying, yeah, no, we just got stupid drunk and thought, what's a good way to make some money? I don't know. I know. Haunted house. <laughs> George Lutz maintained the events in the book were mostly true. Mostly true. In, there's your there's your uh, definitive word there. In June of 79, George and Kathy looked, Lutz uh, submitted to a polygraph test relating to their experiences at the house, which, mm-hmm. sidebar, I hate polygraph tests because they are not accurate at all. Yeah, you can you... cheat a polygraph test so easily. Uh-huh. But how did they, uh, how did they fare? The, res- and the tests were performed by two of allegedly the top five polygraph experts in America. Uh-huh. So you got... Num- you know, number one, number two, or some variation of the top five people doing this test. Yeah. The results, in their opinions, did not indicate lying. That they... They were not lying about the events. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to let my skeptic come out on this one. Yeah. It's easy to make yourself think of it is. Yeah. If, if you... you tell a lie long enough, it becomes truth to you. Exactly. <clears throat> so very easily they could have been doing that and lied and to themselves had... to the point that it is truth. And they had four years nearly to lie this 
into existence in their brains. And with all the media attention they had, they had to stick to a lie. So if they told the same thing consistently enough... I mean, if you can memorize that enough... Yeah, it becomes truth for you. <sighs> so the debate continues to this day concerning the accuracy of the Amityville horror and all the alleged phenomena. And I have heard several different podcasts. Um, it is a go-to, I want to say scapegoat, but it is a go-to target for supernatural podcasts. Yep, I'd, I've listened to um, a couple, I listened to, um, uh, I don't know if I want to name drop any of them. Nah, I'm not gonna. But I there are a few podcasts. Let's do one that talks about mostly um internet based web mystery, internet based um, mysteries and hauntings that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, like um, creepy pastas and yeah. the SCP Foundation, give or take. Yeah. And they talked about it, and they and you know it's like yeah, this was some scary stuff, but it's possible that this really did not happen. Yeah, and <clears throat> and then um obviously I listened to a couple of podcasts by Dan Cummins, and he's covered them he's covered this topic and he's given his opinion where mm -hmm. he where he's like yeah no a lot of this is kind of like kind of smoke out of the water yeah smoke in the water sort of thing so last thing i'll say about the events of the house has had multiple owners since 76 yep all of them have reported publicly reported no problems while living there mm-hmm James Cromarty bought the house in 1977 and lived there with his wife, Barbara, for 10 years. He commented, quote, Nothing weird ever happened except for people coming by because of the book and the movie. I mean, End quote. that'll do it. Yeah. But this franchise, because that's what it is. It's not a haunting. It's a franchise. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. It started in 1979, and the last film or book was 2021, The Amityville Vampire. Come on! It goes, and I'll just read off, I won't read, like, the Amityville blank. I'm just going to read the blank part. Because they're all the Amityville something. Yeah. The horror, the possession, Amityville, the demon, or 3D, evil escapes, the curse, it's about time, a new generation dollhouse. The 05 remake with Ryan Reynolds. Which I've only seen bits and pieces. Not very good. No. It's Ryan Reynolds doing a serious role. That's not you don't Not one of his better not one of his better movies, if I'll be honest. Yeah. Asylum, Death House, Playhouse, No Escape, Vanishing Point, Legacy, Terror, Prisoner, Prison, The Awakening, Evil Never Dies, Exorcism, Murders, Hobbit, Harvest, Poltergeist, Witches of Amityville Academy. Amityville Island, Amityville Vampire. Okay, okay. Um, uh, some of the titles, some of the titles, um, sounded a little bit like a Scooby Doo. Like Scooby Doo-ish. Others sounded a little bit like you know a a good time. You know, like Demon House, Dollhouse, Asylum. Like let like one after the other led into a good time, then to craziness. Uh, had uh, freaking. Uh, others sounded like James Bond titles, <laughs> like um, Evil Never Dies, like that one right there. And then what was that one? Uh, Witches won that one. Uh, Witches of Amityville Academy. That, that sounds like a Scooby Doo like mid nineties, like Scooby Doo and Thirteen Ghosts. And that I'm I'm not even gonna lie, and this is gonna 
I'm on an entirely different wavelength than what you're thinking. You're going Scooby-Doo. I'm going... I'm going softcore Skinamax porn. Oh god. That's what okay. I'm thinking of on that one. Just I'm I'm <laughs> I'm actually embarrassed that I thought of that. No, no. Hey, bear with me here. You and me both watch whose line is it anyway. Yes. Characters that should not be in a porn. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm just going to walk out there and stand for a second. I'm going to go play traffic left. now. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so oh god the, uh, which is amity academy i i got I, I got nothing yeah yeah that that does not sound right uh the worst was it'd be worse if they said co-ed witches i'm like fuck off yeah so and i'll go through i'll i'm gonna just compartmentalize all that the 79 film the original the amityville horror Based on the novel, best known in the series. Yes. Obviously, it started it. The person who played the priest was played by Academy Award-winning actor Rob Steiger. Mm-hmm. First three Amityville films received theatrical releases. The fourth film, which was... The Evil Escapes. Hmm. Was a f- made for television by NBC. Oh, God. I can already imagine the quality on that one. The sequels from the 1990s were released direct-to-video. Oh, I can even feel those even more. And contain virtually no material relating to the Lutz family or the DeFeo murders. Instead, they concentrate on paranormal phenomena caused by cursed items supposedly linked to the house. Oh, for for fuck's sake. Amityville was doing The Conjuring before The Conjuring was Conjuring. Mother of... And then The Conjuring adapted or adopted the Amityville... (laughs) Your scientists were so concerned whether they should... God. Whether, whether they could or not, they didn't think whether should they should. They. God damn it. That, that's what's already <clears throat> popping in the... Fuck! This is... Okay, this is irritating to me. <laughs> okay, what did... Did the Lutzes in some of their... What did they actually say that they witnessed while they were being haunted by these... Hideous. Well, I mean, we talked about a demon pig, the demonic a red room, the de- slime. I know there's a lot of like the shining blood fountain sort of stuff going on. Oh lord! Doesn't the father like lose his collective shit and trying to and start trying to kill his family? If I'm not mistaken, Lutz, George Lutz and Atafeo. If I'm not mistaken, did. I think he was. I think that. I think that he was slowly becoming unhinged as yeah, the month was, as the he, month went on. He was shining. shining yes, shining. Shi- he was shiny. Yeah, yeah. Shiny. Oh God. It, it, um, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm usually like on top of some of this stuff, but this, it just irritates me. Mm-hmm. It just irritates me. And hell, why, why the hell would they be making up these, these claims? Cash Money. grab, of course. Again, the Winchester House. Money. Another issue with 112 Ocean Avenue, the Amityville house. The 05 remake with Ryan Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. (laughs) The 05 remake exaggerates the isolation of 112 Avenue by depicting it as a remote house similar to the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. Yes. In reality, 112 Ocean Avenue is a suburban house within 50 feet of other houses in the neighborhood. (laughs) So... 
people really just like this. I'm I'm looking up some of this stuff here. This is this is in fucking sanity to me. I am <laughs> George Lutz described the O five remake as drivel and sued the makers for breach of contract, defamation, and libel. He objected particularly to the scene in the film where the male lead, George Lutz, played by Ryan Reynolds, is shown killing the family dog with an axe. Oh, yeah. Um, film also shows George Lutz, the George Lutz character building coffins for members of his own family. Defamation claim was dismissed by an L.A. court in 05, in November of 05. While other issues related to the lawsuit remain unresolved at the time of George Lutz's death. Mm, when did he pass? He passed in May 8th of 06. Okay. Last one before I go into the legacy of the Lutz family. The documentary My Amityville Horror was released in March 2013. featured in interviews with Daniel Lutz, one of the children who lived in the house during mm-hmm. the period of the book and the film are based. Yeah. Daniel echoes the original story as told by his mother and stepfather, George and Kathleen. Yeah. Also makes additional claims that he, both he and George Lutz were possessed and that George Lutz demonstrated telekinetic abilities and strongly suggests that George's dabbling in the occult may have initiated the demonic events. This guy was dabbling in the occult. Apparently George was, allegedly. Oy vey. How old was this kid at the time? Yeah. Why do you make me go back and look at things? Uh, Daniel was... Daniel was nine at the time, in nine 74. in 74. Nine in, it's, wait, hang on, it happened in 74? Is that what happened? The the, the haunting end of 74? Or or, um, 76? 76, yeah. There 74 go. was DeFeo. Yeah, yeah. 74 was DeFeo. 76. Uh, nine years old, se- nine years old, six in 1976. <clears throat> uh, easy to, d- easy to damn, um, manipulate a kid. Like, I mean, nine nine years old is still at a time where you still have some of that, where if you see something spooky or whatever, yeah, or something that's actually really just jarring, you can mess a kid up or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this one, but like easy to, easy to control a kid at that age. Yeah, absolutely. So Kathleen Teresa Lutz. Um, died on August 17th, 2004 from emphysema. Mm-hmm. And George Lutz died May 8th, 06 of heart disease. Yeah. The couple themselves actually divorced in the late 80s, but remained on good terms. Okay. So, on the night of March 6th, 1976, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ah, the Warrens. They would, they're would they worthy of their own full episode on our Oh, on they our, will be. On our uh, podcast. Together with a crew from the television station Channel 5 New York and reporter Mike Michael Linder of WNEW-FM went to investigate the house. During the course of the investigation, Gene Campbell uh, took a series of infrared time-lapse photographs. One of the images allegedly showed a demonic boy with glowing eyes. I've seen that picture. Who was standing at the foot of the st- staircase? Yep. Not at the foot mm-hmm. of, at the at the at a banister, looking yep. looking around. I've seen that photo, mm-hmm. and it's definitely creepy as all yep. hell. There goes the goosebumps again. Fucking. <laughs> to quote, oh God, what's that comedian's name? Theo. Theo Vaughn. Yeah. Ugh, makes you want to kick a fat kid at Kmart. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, and I. Uh, he is a redneck comedian, but he's like intelligent, and mm-hmm. he was doing a podcast. And this snippet of him 
goes into memes like when you're frustrated with a car yeah like the the, the two hour oil change turned into a 10 hour engine swap Ugh, makes you want to kick a fat kid at Kmart yeah <laughs> I, it, it, I I've seen that photo because again listen to different podcasts mm. and they've talked they've talked about it I look at that photo <laughs> and it does creep me out but mm-hmm. it makes me curious like is that really there? Was it photoshopped? Because, I mean, the thing is, you can manipulate photos. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were manipulating photos back in the 1920s and 30s when Stalin was in power of Soviet Russia. Mm -hmm. We've seen, you and I have seen Dr. Crow's uh, book that features just that, Mm -hmm. literally editing people out of existence. Yep. You could probably edit people into existence as well, because that's what they did. Like, there was actually that photo of a... Lenin on his deathbed or like in his chair or something yep. and there's Stalin right next to him like hey buddy and in reality it was actually Lenin's wife not yep. Stalin so Photoshop's been around it's just not been in the medium of computers exactly so it is possible to edit it, the technology would have been possible I, I have my because what it was a, it was a news it was like a bunch of a it was professional photographers as well as Ed and Lorraine Warren. And yeah, some it men. was uh, it was a whole news crew and a radio DJ and the Warrens and the Lutz family. So some people, so some people who were very good at possibly editing footage. Yeah. That's where I have my. And I mean, mis- they had two boys in the house, so they could have easily had that. Let's some, stage one to scare people up and drum money in. I mean, some people have said also that it is not a it is not a tampered photo that it is the real McCoy. The it might look it might look like the real McCoy, but where's the original photo? Like, where's the actual like? It's like, well, it's online. No, 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 no. I mean, the actual physical copy of the photograph. I want to know where that's at. I'm gonna look at the image. I'm gonna. You're going to get yourself nightmares, dude. Yep. You are going to give yourself some nightmares. Ooh. There it is. <laughs> yeah, just leaning over, glowing yeah. eyes. What sucks is I have a kid. <laughs> end of, end of, end of sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, where's I have a kid, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have a little boy, and I swear to God, and he's only... At this time of recording, he's only eight months old. Yes. He's already standing up and, like, pulling himself up. Oh, no. I'm waiting, and I'm a hard sleeper. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the day he walks into my bedroom and is like, Dad, I need a glass of water. Dad. And, like, like, wakes me up. I'm going to be, like, half loose, like, ah, boom. (laughs) Ah, shit, I just hit my kid. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to teach him to bob and weave pretty hard. <laughs> and then he's going to be crying. I'm going to be crying because I got hit by the wife for hitting the kid. It's going to be a great time. Everybody's, great. everybody's just going to be saying stuff. Yeah. It's going to be a whole bunch of emotions. Yeah, it's going to be great. And it's... then I'm all going to have ice cream later. And then I'm going to be over here for a little while because I got moved out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's my weird underlying fear when my kid gets old enough to walk and talk is I'm going to accidentally punch him because he freaks me out. <laughs> like, if my kid says any of that weird, creepy kid shit, like, in my past life, I remember the burning and the screaming. 
no, you can go sleep out in the garage now. Nope, we're not having that, kid. You're, you're not doing this. We nope. are not having that hey, at this house. Hey, you see that backyard? Go. Go. <laughs> I know. Mm-mm. Yeah, that, that's my underlying fear. He's going to say some weird, creepy shit like that, and then I'm not going to be able to sleep for five days. <clears throat> yeah, God. Off the TED Talk again. <laughs> In May of 2010, hard turn back into the house. Yeah. The house was placed on the market with an asking price of $1.15 million. $1.15 million. You're saying that because I have no hair? Now you don't, but I couldn't <laughs> resist. <laughs> In August of 2010, the house was sold to a local resident for 950000 950000 <clears throat> Yeah, 950000 Yeah, so a little, little uh, markdown. Yeah, 50 k off a mill. So, house is still there. It's uh, still... Has the address changed? No. The address has not changed? Nope. They have not changed the address. They have not... It lo- it's being kept up to date because it's, you know, someone still lives there. I mean, I'm glad that they are, and I'm glad that I'm not having to deal with any of this allegedly spooky shit that's going on. Well, apparently it hasn't happened since, you know, 76, so... You know, I... I don't know. That it seems like that might have been a you know, someone got creeped out, you know, one of the Lutzes found out about the DeFeo or they heard about the DeFeo murders, and this is my theory about it now. They heard about the DeFeo mor- murders, knew it was a local, you know, ooh, taboo topic. And they were like, I bet we can make some money off this shit. Yeah. And they pulled in Anson or one of the other various people I named off. <clears throat> and they're like, what if, hear me out, what if it's haunted? I mean, that'll do it. And then piggybacking off the murder and the tabooness of that, oh, shit, that house is haunted. Yep. And you can, you run, if someone murdered six people in the house, you can probably run with just about anything. And people are going to be like, yeah, that sounds creepy enough to be real. And then you get Ed and Lorraine Warren involved. Oh, shit, now it's real. Yeah. Now it's concrete. Yeah. By the way, have you seen The Nun 2 on HBO? No. No. Don't. Just don't. I don't I don't watch any of the Conjuring movies. I don't I like I prefer I prefer monster horror and slasher horror. I yeah. don't like supernatural <clears throat> horror. I'll I can be tolerate honest. some supernatural, but The Nun 2 just was not The Nun was okay. The Nun 2 was not. That was that one was clearly a cash grab. I'm not a big fan of a lot of those types of horror movies, supernatural, because they always make the, they always do the jump scares, and I'm like, yeah, to me, I hate God, I hate jump scares. To me, a jump scare is a lazy form of of scare because it's just to make people jump. Like if I want a jump scare, I'll go to a haunted house. Yeah. Like 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 like. How, how much time do we have on this episode? Nah, we've been in for fifty minutes. Oh oh yeah, I can yeah we can TED talk jump scares and. In horror movies, we yeah. can we can yeah. but wrap I, it, up the last 10, 15 minutes I, judging horror movies. But yeah, the uh, if I, I I'll go to a haunted <clears throat> a, a haunted attraction, yeah, like or a haunted maze, something, and just do that and get spooked that way because that's the scare actors are paid to do that. Yeah. I don't. I find that any studio that just relies on jump scares for everything is lazy. Uh-huh. A horror movie is not just supposed to scare you, it's supposed to disturb and unsettle you. 
yeah. myself a, a good <clears throat> example that I think that is very appropriate. Uh, did you ever watch Tusk? Oh, hmm. I can't do body horror. That right there. I watched uh-huh. that movie. I watched that movie and I left disturbed. Yeah. Like, I don't usually disturb. So no. when I watched that, that one definitely got me. Yeah. My... Like, Ugh. So uh, Kevin Smith did his job with that one. Yeah. So, and I guess this can sort of tie into a little bit of the about us for the between the line stuff, horror movie stuff. Like, I don't, I love monster movie, you know, traditional, you know, Godzilla is not really a horror movie anymore, but Godzilla, Lake Placid, Anaconda, Jaws. Yes. The oversized monsters and creatures. Obviously, we had a whole conversation about gigantism and animals. Yeah, we had two, we had giant monsters and then uh, dinosaurs. We've had the topic on that. But... I love that I grew up on those and then supernatural stuff I can tolerate to a degree like the original exorcism or the exorcist Tim Burton's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow from 99 that one was very good that movie had such an impact on me for like four or five years for Halloween Headless Horseman mm-hmm. go to that was it no argument no discussion turtleneck over my head <laughs> i actually remember the the trailers for that movie uh they actually mm. scared me yeah they scared me because i love that they gave the horseman a pretty damn good background and it well it's 2023 if you haven't watched it yet go i mean he was it. i mean he was a hessian in yeah. the, he was a hessian in the original washington irving poem yeah story but they they made it, they tied it, Tim Burton tied it all together very beautifully, I think. Yes. And made it, Ichabod Crane had a reason to go there. You know, he had a reason to leave, he had a reason to stay, all these things. And then he added so much flair that was tastefully done, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that is, <clears throat> if we were to rank horror movies, that movie is probably my number one. That was... It was a horror with a dark fantasy element to yeah. it. That was it, really yeah, well done. Yeah, dark fantasy to it. It was a nice touch. And but I cannot stand, like you said, jump scares. I hate them. It's cheap, and you're you're not getting a reaction because of the quality. You're getting a visceral reaction because that's what people do when they get a jump scare. They, you know, they jump. Mm-hmm. You're getting a basic biological reaction you're not you're not earning the scare uh-huh you're you're forcing it yeah and that the nun the original nun movie had some tension to it uh-huh like there were time i don't know have you seen the first one uh no okay no there's scenes where in the nun demon <laughs> comes usually comes out from a painting of itself and it does like um, that. Pennywise comes out of the yeah. out of the painting in like three dimensions, it and then pops out. Yes. So there's like a bubble, and then it bursts. Uh huh. And there's that tension there, and then they earn that jump scare when it finally bursts. Now, when now the tension, it, there has to be that tension, that suspense. Yeah. Like truly, like that's where that's where it is best. Yeah. But when it's just when it's like just. 
a slow close up and then nah! like yeah, that that's that's one thing. But the the one kind of jump scare I can tolerate not physically I hate them cuz yes. they give me anxiety about it. Yeah. But the one jump scare that kind of earns itself is when the jump scare isn't in your face and it's at the end of a hallway and you see it coming. You know something's going to happen. But then it just keeps slowly coming, and then or like jerky, or like the jerky ghost mm. all the way up. Yeah, that yeah. one. Oh, that'll shit. That'll do it. Yeah, it gave you goosebumps again. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so on the spectrum of quality of horror movies, the Conjuring's are they're okay. But they're typical of modern day horror movies, where it's a, it's either body horror that's grotesque and excessive, or it's cheap, cheap jump scares. Mm-hmm. I've not watched a horror movie in a long time, in recent memory at least, that has been of a good quality. I have a recommendation for you. Okay, it's called No One Can Save You. Well, that's despairing. And what's even more about it, for the near 90-minute runtime, almost no dialogue. Christ. It is very well done. Uh, in short, just the basis of it, it's about uh, it's about a woman in a, in, a, uh, in a country, in a rural home, in a rural house, uh, and she winds up having to fend off aliens. And it's really well done, like watching it. There was a there's a lot of tension. There is that real sense of helplessness because there's a couple of background actors, but other than that, it's mostly her. Yeah. It's like focusing on her for the most part. There's barely any dialogue. It's really well done. So I did watch it had Natalie Portman in it. The happening. The happening. It was a sci fi thriller scary movie. The Happening. I think. That was the one with Mark Wahlberg, wasn't it? Or, oh, or, yeah, that is the one that's where the, and that Sha- That's the end that Shyamalan Plants movie. He's looking this up for the Natalie Portman horror movie. Annihilation. Oh, yes, that one. So, it wasn't... It was a, it was a middle-of-the-road movie. It was okay. Okay. But... They had it decently well-paced. It got a little weird at the end. As it's Synopsis is... um, Natalie Portman's character is married to a special operations... Or special forces guy in the military. He can't disclose where he's going for missions and stuff. Yes. So months, even a couple years at a time sort of thing, disappears off the grid. Mm -hmm. And she's a geneticist, I think. She's a scientist. She's a scientist for a college. Government comes, talks, and I think they kidnap her, basically. Bring her to this black site. um, And they basically disclose there's some weird cosmic thing going on in the middle of a Louisiana swamp. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I've not seen it, but I do know that they deal like with this shimmer, this glimmer. The shimmer. And it's expanding slowly, and they're, you know... We're estimating by the end of the year it's going to have this much ground covered and yada, yada, yada. And inside is like this bastardization of organic yeah, life. It's, it's a weird, almost like The Last of Us yeah. mutation thing going. Mm-hmm. 
but they have it so well spaced. You know, there's a little bit of creepiness. There's a, you know, there's a jump scare here. More creepiness, build up, tension among the group. They lose someone. And then there's, you know, the fake outs. The biggest fake out of it being, I don't know if you've seen it. Well, you haven't seen it. The bear. Yes, yes. Oh, shit. That was horrifying. Now. Oh, it's. I, I will say, uh. I don't, I'm not, I'm going to come back on my opinion towards jump scares. I won't deride a jump scare. Sometimes a jump scare, as we have discussed, is earned. Yeah. Like, like for, like, a, the, say, you know, you're out in the, you're at your, if the, the movie's out in the, out in the forest or something. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, big monster or something just. Yeah. Right out of nowhere. Yeah. But that, that one, but in, that, in a real world scenario, you could see that happening. But exactly. That's why I say a that forced jump scare, like in the nun or yes, the nun two. That's it's like, where I'm at. Yeah. Now, but the creepiest part about Annihilation is that bear scene, and it's this mutated bear that ate one of the party members, and because it's a weird genetic anomaly zone, absorbs her DNA when he when the bear eats her. Yep. And when it roars and growls, it sounds like her voice. Spoilers for anybody who has not seen the movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I recommend watching it, just it's, it's not been, with small children. It's been out for a while, though, yeah, I it's think. it's 2018. Yeah, it's been out for, like, but five years. They're the fake-out of... And one of her and the other party members were, you know, kind of a thing. So the other one that's still alive is like, oh, shit, it's, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, and then, Runs downstairs, and it's the fucking bear, you know... I've I've seen some I've seen some YouTube videos that talk about that scene and it's just like it's one of the most gut wrenching scenes. Yeah, because it's it, it's terrifying. It's depressing. It's sad. It's it, yeah. I think that's what I like. Scare wise is yeah. when it's more than just terrifying. Yeah, it's got that unsettling yeah. aspect to it. The mist. Yeah, that was a good one. Holy. God, if that if that doesn't tear your heartstrings in one at one scene or another, you're dead. That I you're think you're dead is, inside. That is still one of the most perfect horror movie endings ever, because oh, yeah, because Absolutely. it because it it was very much what a horror is supposed to be. Horror yeah. is supposed to be, and I think not a vanquishing of evil. It's supposed to be the fact that like you cannot walk away unscathed. Mm-mm. Which is why I get it. Which is why I take issue with um, a lot of like modern day, yeah, love, where yeah, everything Lovecrafty, Lovecrafty and stuff. Because like uh, there's books and there's there's the, there's the Call of Cthulhu game, D and D game, and everything. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you're trying to beat Cthulhu. It's like you can't beat beings that are outside of our comprehension that are in, infinitely more powerful than you or I. Quite truly, you will go mad. That is the point of Lovecraftian horror, is that you will go insane. There is no winning. There is no safety. There is the fact that you realize that you are nothing more than a speck of dust in the cosmic scheme of things with these superiorly powerful beings that could, on the blink of an eye, turn you into mush for no reason. Just because of sheer enjoyment. So... And sort of to wrap wrap it up and then sort of bring us back to the Amityville Horror. Yeah. The 70s and early, late 70s, early 80s, that era of horror movie 
that was probably the, some of the more polarizing movies because you they were either fantastic and are in the pop culture of the world, mm-hmm. or they sucked and they're in the pop culture of the world. Oh yeah, no, like because I... you had Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Amityville Horror, Jaws, Jaws, The Exorcist, and then you had shit movies like Piranha. The... <laughs> Piranha. That was Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels. Yes. <laughs> and then Poltergeist, which just had a lot of different. Had a lot of different. Um... You said you liked that movie, right? The original one. I, I... Fr- from a from a from a from a filmmaking standpoint. I can't even get behind it on that level. I I I watched I it. And I was like, okay, so I can see why I was. I, I I try to put myself back in the time when those movies were made. Yeah, because it's like back then, absolutely fucking creepy, like really really messed up. But modern times, I laughed. I laughed at that movie. Now you look at it, and it's like <clears> this is so funny. It's like it's like the original. It's like uh, watching the original um, Dawn of the Dead by George Romero in black and white. That one. It is. Oh, that triggered some memories from college. That mm-hmm. for me, for me, I like that movie based from an artistic standpoint because it's really well done. Yeah. But at the, and but then you watch it and it's like this is kind of comical in some sense because yeah. it's just a bunch of people who are just paid to shamble around in clothing and that's it. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, that's. I need to watch the Amityville. I want. I don't. I wouldn't mind getting a copy and reading it. But I definitely need to watch it at some point. Yeah. I kind of want to watch the O Five remake, even though it's drivel, according to Mister Lutz. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So that was uh, House Number Two. Yep. Uh, I'm sold on this one just because. I mean, I don't believe there's any spooky. No, stuff. I don't think there is either. You might have a sale on this one. The Winchester House. It's just confusing. I'd get lost. Ah, uh, yeah. No, I probably would get lost. Like, my first... Like, I wake up the next morning, and I'll take the wrong turn. The next thing I know... Where are you, babe? What? I've just done that for five minutes. It's been five days! How? It's like Interstellar. I've been gone for 37 years. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That is... That's that episode. Yeah, that's I think our... that's the end of that episode for us. Um, what do we got up next in our docket, mister? Uh, well, I was going to tackle a couple of, uh, and this is going to open the floodgates to a whole subject, but, uh, yep. I was thinking we'd ta- start talking puppy dogs. Got some puppy dogs in mind? Got some puppy dogs. Oh, I like puppies. We got pup- a French poodle. Definitely a French poodle. Oh, I like puppies. You don't have any puppies. I can still like puppies. I might not have puppies. I got cats, but I like puppies. And then, so we got a French poodle. Uh-huh. And then we got a, a, a puppy that lives up in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin Weimaramer? Nice. Yeah. Oh, Wisconsin. Aww. Wisconsin Weimaramer. Puppies! I'm gonna have fun with this. It's not, probably not, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, let's see. Let me... I'm gonna try and knock out the, the end note, or the credits. Thank you to Brittany for our logo. Correct. Um, we are on Instagram and Facebook, Tall and Short Podcast, on both. Uh-huh. Send us a message. Tell us how awesome we are. Yeah. You Only can positive find, comments. Only positive reinforcement. You can find you can, or or also 
uh, positive criticism. So you know what we did, what, yeah. what we did wrong, but we could fix. Or more if than you want to tell so. us that Tim sucks, hey, know, I'll say it for them. I mean, email us at tallandshortpod at gmail.com, which can be found in the show notes below. And then we are on, I know we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify now. I did put us on there. We are on, what else? Uh, Amazon Music, Amazon Apple, Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcast. truly wherever you find your yeah. podcasts. So wherever, tell- whatever you subscribe to, we might be on there, and if not, tell us, and we might try and get on there just to annoy yeah. you. And, and tell your friends, word of mouth, tell your friends, tell loved ones your that word of mouth really does help us and we would greatly appreciate it and then uh yeah happy house hunting haunting haunting house hunting i haunted house hunting there we go haunted house hunting yeah have fun with that uh don't murder anyone please please don't and if you do don't say it was us no until next time tune in for more tall and short everybody bye